21, John chapter 21 this evening. And for the past two weeks, we have been uh, studying the 21st chapter of the book of John. You know, this chapter deals with Peter. And really, when you get down to it, there's six other men there, but it's really all about the Lord and Peter. The Lord had told Peter when he had risen that uh, he told all of his disciples, said, go before me, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. But he said this, he said, tell my disciples and Peter. And the Lord emphasized the fact that he had a desire to speak with Peter. In other words, it was like he was making an appointment, as it were, with the apostle Peter. And I believe, and you don't have to believe this, I don't guess the Bible explicitly states it, but it seems to me that the 21st chapter of the book of John tells us about that appointment. Because at this point in Peter's life, this is the third time John makes it clear to us that the Lord had appeared to His disciples. The other two times are in the upper room at Jerusalem. He appears to them once and in Thomas's absence and then appears to them again in Thomas's presence. But those seem to be more corporate visits, if you want to call them that as he reveals himself to be risen, to be alive, and he declares, Peace be unto you. He shows uh, Thomas the nail prints in his hands and the, the place where the spear had been thrust in his side. But as he meets the disciples on the Sea of Tiberias in John 21, very quickly the attention seems to shift and the focus seems to shift to Peter and the Lord's conversations with him. We have examined how that uh, there are three basic lessons that are found in this 21st chapter of the book of John. There is a lesson on fishing. And the Lord shows Peter that uh, once he had walked away from his fishing nets, there wasn't no walking back to it. Let me say this, that uh, once the Lord has took control of your life, you'll never be satisfied unless He has control of your life. Once you've walked with Him, you won't want to walk with anyone else. <laughs> Once you've seen Him work, you won't want to try to do it yourself. You'll want to see the Lord do it. You'll be miserable trying to do it yourself. And then He teaches him a lesson about feeding. And He talks to him about his responsibility and talks to him about his love. And uh, shows him how that he can express and uh, extend the love of God in his life to the lives of others. And then finally, He teaches him a lesson about following. I think we could maybe also say that he first teaches him a lesson on leaving and then teaches him a lesson on loving. And then in these last few verses, he teaches him a lesson on living for him. Each of these three lessons harken back to a time, an event in Peter's life. And we'll say a word about that as we begin the preaching. But I'd like to begin reading in verse number 18. Now, the Lord has just talked to Peter about loving him. And he then turns to Peter and says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. But then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which leaned all on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? 
Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Father, thank you for this time. Pray that you'd bless and use your word this evening. Lord, we have need of it. And even if we don't know that we need it, we do need it. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us as we scoot our feet under your table again. And we'd feast upon the bread of life and your good word. Father, that you would do in our hearts and lives that which would bring you the most glory. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we have looked at each of these three lessons, the most dramatic event probably in Peter's life up until this point occurred on the night that the Lord was betrayed and the night before the Lord would be crucified. The Lord had told the disciples that all of them would betray, or not betray, but all of them would forsake Him, that one of them would betray Him, but that all would forsake Him, that the shepherd would be smitten and the sheep they would scatter. And when he said that, Peter begins to rebuke and upbraid the Lord, as it were. And he says, Lord, though all would forsake you, yet will not I. And the Lord looks at him and he says this, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And Peter, of course, says, Lord... I will die for you. And the Lord looks at him and says, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. From there, Judas comes and he betrays the Lord with a kiss. And he is taken at the hands of a rogue government to a kangaroo trial to be convicted of nothing more than being the Son of God and God in the flesh. And to be crucified upon Calvary. As they leave the garden... Peter begins to follow afar off. He is fearful lest he should be taken, get into trouble. Now, let me say this. We ought to stay out of trouble, but there's nothing wrong with getting in trouble with and for Jesus. Amen? We ought not be so afraid of men's opinions that it causes us to distance ourselves from the Lord Jesus. We ought to respect men's opinions enough to want to portray Jesus to them. But we not to never respect man's opinion enough that we would betray Jesus to them. And so, as uh, Peter is following afar off, he comes to the outside, to the sort of a general court area. And Jesus is taken and is, is being uh, placed before uh, Caiaphas and the high priest. And Peter sits down. The Bible says there's a fire of coals there. And he sits down around and begins to warm his hands. And three times in that moment... Peter denies the Lord Jesus, says, I know not the man. On the third time, he even goes so far as to take those old fishermen oaths and swear to try to distance himself from the Son of God. At that time, he turns, looks upon the Lord, and the Lord looks upon him. And let me say this to you tonight. This isn't my message, but let me say that the Lord knows. The Lord knows when we sin. He knew exactly when to turn and look at Peter. (laughs) 
And in that moment, the Bible says that Peter's heart was broken and he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, that's the prelude to what we have in John 21. The Lord, of course, is crucified. He raises again the third day. He tells the disciples and Peter to go meet Him in Galilee. And this occasion takes place on this night when Peter determined he was going to go back to the life of fishing. And he drugged six other men along with him. You know, that's how it is. When we, when we get out of the will of God, we take folks with us. And uh, I've never met anybody that wanted to quit on church but what they didn't want to take a few with them. Amen? Y- y'all been around church long enough. You know that's true. Now, I've known lots of folks that left and left the right way, and they were in the will of God in leaving because, I, you know, I'd love it if it was God's will for everybody to be here all the time and forever, but I understand that may not be the case. I've never seen anyone that left the right way that dragged folks out with them. But I've never met anyone that left the wrong way that didn't drag a few. And Peter takes six other men with him when he goes fishing. And there upon the Sea of Tiberias, you know, the last time that they had went out and fished all night and caught nothing, Peter hadn't yet been in the ministry. And God called him into the ministry. And now when he's trying to call himself out of the ministry, a similar occasion occurs. And Jesus stands on the seashore and cries out and he says, Children, have you any meat? They said, No. And he said, Cast on the right side of the boat and you'll find them there. So they cast on the right side of the boat and there they find fish. This is the first thing I would suggest to you that is reminding Peter of the life that he had walked away from. Of course, John looks and and Peter didn't know it was the Lord, but John knew it was the Lord. You know, when you when you stay close to the Lord, you know when it's the Lord. Peter had had always been the loudest, but he had he had always been the loudest, but he never learned to lean. John learned to lean on his bosom. He learned to depend on the Lord. And so he knew. He knew when it was the Lord. And he cries out. He says, it is the Lord. Peter girts his fisher's coat, jumps out of the boat, and swims as hard as he can to try to get to the shore. And when he gets there, he finds a fire of coals. This is the second reminder that's being given to Peter. You see, that term fire of coals is only found two times in the whole Bible. And John uses it twice. He used it about the fire that, the, that Peter denied the Lord around, and then he used it about this fire that the Lord had prepared. See, the last time Peter had sat around the fire, he was denying the Lord. But the next time he sits around the fire, he's dining with the Lord. And you say, what does that mean to me, preacher? It means this. If you've made some mistakes, the best thing you can do is come and fall at his feet, because there you're going to find restoration. This is the first reminder. And they get done eating, and there's some other things happen. We've preached on them. You can go back and listen. You can study uh, for yourself. But then the Lord turns and looks at Peter, and He says, Simon. Now, boy, that must have, that must have pierced like a dagger. Because Simon was the old name of Peter. That was his name before the Lord found him. And He says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? See, that's the third reminder that He gives him. Because the last time they sat around talking after supper, the Lord said, all are going to betray me. All are going to deny me. All are going to forsake me. All are going to walk away. And Peter said, though all forsake you, yet will not I. You know what he was saying? It'll never be me. I love you more than anyone loves you, Lord. And now the Lord says to him, Peter, do you still feel that way? Peter answers and he doesn't say, I love you more than these. He just says, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And a couple more times, and we preached on it last week, but that's the third reminder that is given to him. There's a fourth reminder in the passage that we just read this evening. Because, you see, the last time that they sat around talking about the cross, 
Peter looked at the Lord and he said, I will go with you and I will die with you. The Lord didn't ask Peter to do that. What he did ask him to do was to watch and to pray. Peter, of course, fell asleep when that command was given. You see, it's real easy to talk about dying for the Lord. But it's a lot harder to talk about living for the Lord. I'm sure most of us in this day of danger have had the thought run across our mind. I'm sure there's been some, maybe even sat in these pews and thought to themselves, what would I do if a gunman was to walk through that back door? Begin to ask, as gunmen have done in the past year in churches in this country, begin to ask people if they really believe that Bible and really believe in Jesus Christ, only to find those that answer in the affirmative to be sent out of this world as quick as a trigger can be pulled. You may have sat in these very pews and thought to yourself, oh yes, I would proclaim and claim my Lord. I'd not deny Him given that chance and given that question. I'd surely die for my Lord. What can I say to you tonight that that may be true? And I don't deny, I don't question when you say that that's true. I would like to believe that I would say the same thing. And I do believe that I would say the same thing. But a lot harder than living or dying for the Lord is to live for the Lord on a daily basis. You see, the lesson that Christ was teaching Peter was before Peter said, Lord, I will die for you, but he wasn't ready to live for it. Now the Lord is going to tell Peter that he is going to die for it. And Peter is going to relate that he is not yet willing to live for it. And I want us to consider three basic things this evening and what it means in our life. Look with me first off about what the Lord says about Peter's future death. You know, we're all going to die if the Lord tarries His coming. Every one of us. The question is just when and how. Every single one of us, well, none of us will leave this world alive unless the Lord returns to rapture us out. And so it was not necessarily an astounding thing that the Lord would say this to Peter. But notice the tone of this revelation. Look at verse number 18, we see the Lord's revelation. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Now, we might look at that verse and, and believe it's a mysterious verse, except John reveals to us exactly what it's talking about in the next verse, when he says, This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. In fact, if you study church history, secular church history even, you'll find this to be true, that that's exactly how Peter did die. Peter was crucified the same way the Lord was, except Peter was crucified upside down, not deeming himself to be worthy to be crucified in the exact way that the Lord was. Certainly the Lord's prophecy was fulfilled. But isn't it interesting the way that the Lord says it? Now, he could have just looked at Peter and said, Peter, one of these days they're going to crucify you like they crucified me. But that's not what he says. Notice the emphasis that the Lord gives. First, I want you to notice he speaks of Peter's independent attitude. And he says, you know, Peter, when you were a young man, you went anywhere you wanted to and you did anything you wanted to. There's people in this room that that's been true for you. And that's not, by the way, that's not a bad thing. 
You know, I'm, I'm a 28-year-old young man, and, and I guess maybe being in ministry gives me a little bit keener awareness of my mortality. You're around a lot of people that are sick and, and older and dying. But I'll tell you this, there is an inclination when you're a young man to feel like you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And some of you remember a time in your life when whatever you wanted to do, you did it. You worked, you made enough money to do, I mean, within reason what you wanted to do. If you wanted to go out and buy a car, you went out and bought a car. If you wanted to go, uh, you know, go out and buy a motorcycle, you went out and bought a motor. I mean, you just, you did what you wanted to do. If you wanted to do some work around the house, you just went out and you did it. Your body didn't ache and you was able to go and do whatever you wanted to do. When you were young, you, you girded yourself and you walked about and you did anything that you wanted to do. That's the inclination of the natural man. And that was Peter's life. Peter had been a fisherman. Peter was a gruff man. We know that from the testimony of Scripture. But given the lifestyle of his occupation, he was probably a very energetic and a very strong and a very, to some degree, healthy man. Because, this listen, it's one thing to go out and, and, and fling a line out and, and, you know, catch a fish. But that's not the kind of fishing they were doing. They were hauling huge nets full of fish up out of the water. Peter was a man that did what he wanted to do. And that's what he'd been used to. But the Lord reveals to him, Peter, there's one thing that you won't get to choose in your life. Because there's going to come a time you're going to get old, Peter. And when you get old, you won't be able to have the freedom and the choices that you once did. Now, this is a reality in this world. There's some of you in this room, you'd have to admit that you can't do. So I've heard you say it. I can't do what I used to do. Some of you used to get out and, you know, I mean, you, you, you'd get out and you'd, you'd chop wood or you, you'd work in the garden or you'd, you'd farm. You'd go out and, you, you know, you'd work on the car. You'd do whatever you wanted to do. And, and, and now when you do those things, it's like you've been hit by a truck. Amen. I hear old people complain all the time. They'll say, boy, I'm sore and I didn't do nothing, you know. You know, that's a hard reality to life, but that is the reality to life. And, you know, I think one of the things that, the Lord is teaching Peter is that, Peter, you are going to die for me one day, but in that, your death is going to matter. We're all going to face that. The question is how we're going to face it. We see here the uh, revelation of the Lord, but notice the reason of the Lord. It says in verse number 19 that by this death, He would signify or that He would glorify God. That in dying in this way, it would bring much glory to the Lord. And we know that's true from, from history, that it is a well-known testimony, the strength and the courage and the supernatural grace wherewith Peter met that crucifixion, wherewith he died. It was a good testimony to the early church as to the sustaining grace of God. And in that death, he was able to glorify God. But then notice the request of the Lord. He says this, follow me. Now, this is interesting. Here's what the Lord's saying. Peter, your life is not going to end pleasantly, but I want you to follow me anyway. I don't think Peter's real struggle was in dying for the Lord. He was already prepared to do that. It was not in dying for the Lord, but it was in dying to self that he was struggling. You see, the fact is, Peter had a choice like all of us have a choice. You see, this death was within the will of God. But could it be that Peter, if he had got out of the will of God, wouldn't have died that death? 
Now, I understand there's some the- theoretical theology there. I understand it's recorded in Scripture. I understand all that. But what I'm saying is this. When the Lord said this to Peter on this night, what He was saying is, Peter, as my disciple, as my child, and as my servant, this is the death that will bring me the most glory. Peter, follow me. Follow me. Even in light of the unsavory aspects of following me. Can I say to you tonight that it's not always going to be easy serving God. (laughs) If you think it's always easy serving God, you've probably never served God. There's times the Lord asks you to do things you didn't ask for. There's times the Lord asks you to do things you didn't plan on. There's times the Lord brings things into your life that you would have done different had it been you that made the choice. What do you do? You follow Him. You see, that's what dying to self really is. I promise you the last thing Peter wanted was to meet the death that he met. But he had to die death before he ever died death, if he was ever going to die that death. See, he had to die to self like Paul said. You know what Paul said? He said, I die daily. He was talking about the suffering in ministry. He was talking about the affliction that takes place in ministry and the persecution that he had endured. And he was saying this, that of course one day, and Paul did meet a martyr's death. He laid his head down on uh, on Nero's chopping block and woke it up in the in the presence of God's glory. He met a martyr's death. But what Paul was saying is this: that's one decision. But I've got to die every day to self if I'm going to serve God. I've got to every day lay my head on that chopping block. I've got to every day lay my passions and my aspirations and my will and my desires on that chopping block and martyr them for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord says, Peter, follow me. Follow me. Something interesting happens. I want you to notice not only Peter's future death is in sight here, but Peter's foolish distraction then takes center stage. And I want you to notice the language in verse number 20. Then, so right after, right? And we might even say predicated by. I mean, this is, this is, all this took place. And then what did Peter do? Peter has not yet agreed to anything. He's not even said anything yet. The Lord said, Peter, you're going to die for me one day, but I'm asking you to follow me today. And Peter does not say anything. I want you to notice first off Peter's perception. Then Peter turning about. See if the disciple whom Jesus loved follow. It's an interesting study to look in Peter's life at the things that he got his eyes on when he got them off Jesus. Because time and again, Peter, at critical times in his life, he takes his eyes off the Lord and has to learn a hard lesson through that. And here at the crucial point in his life, the Lord is asking him to sacrifice not only his death, but his life, not only uh, his, his, the, the glorious death that he'll endure, but also his desires and his passions. And in the midst of this exchange, you know what he does? He turns around to see who else is watching. You know, part of the reason that we have such trouble dying to self is because we've always got our eyes on somebody else and what they're doing. And we're going to talk about it in a minute, but can I just preface the whole rest of the message by saying this? It don't make a lick of difference what anyone else is doing. He turns around and he gets his eyes off of the Lord. Rather than fixing his gaze, he averts it. And you know, there's a tendency to do that when things get tough and difficult. 
Oh, we're all ready. Listen, we're all ready to shout for Him when things are going well. But I wonder how many of us are ready to submit to Him when things aren't going well. When things don't turn out how we planned, do we get our eyes off of them and start worrying and focusing on somebody else? We see His perception, but I want you to notice His presumption. This is interesting that John says this. Look how John describes himself. Now, it's interesting to note all the ways that John describes himself. But here, look at what he says. Then Peter, turning about, see if the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Now, why did John say all of that? Can I say this, that if I was reading the book of John... And if I had never heard the name of John, and if I had not came to this place in Scripture, I think I still could have probably gathered that it was John who was there. John again and again describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that would have been sufficient. And he really wouldn't have even had to have said that. He could have said the narrator. He could have said, I that speak to thee. He could have said anything. But he goes on a big long discourse to say it's the disciple whom Jesus loved, who leaned on his bosom, and who said, Lord, who is he that betrayeth thee? Now, why did John go out of his way to say this? Well, here's why I believe. I believe that as John recorded his gospel... I believe he had an idea maybe why Peter turned and looked at him the way that he did. This is what I think. I think Peter's presumption was this. We know that it's true to some degree because he says, Lord, what about this man? But here's what I think that John thought, and I believe John was right. I think Peter thought that the Lord was being more fair and better to John than he was being to him. And he turns, and John says the reason for this, because he, the Lord loves me, and because I leaned on His bosom, and because I was the one that asked who would, when everybody else, you know, everybody else said, it is I, I mean, I asked the Lord, I was there, I was present, I was close to Him. And Peter had this in his head, that for some reason, God was going to expect something out of him that He wasn't going to expect out of John. Can I say this to you? There may be times that God does expect things out of you He doesn't expect out of other people. But can I also tell you this, that God loves you just as much as He loves anybody else. You, you want to know a real easy way to go insane? Get to thinking that every problem in your life is due to the fact that God don't love you or love somebody else more than you. Brother, you'll start to sink. Let me tell you a good way to keep your sanity. Get it in your head here and now that God loves you supremely and absolutely. And that anything that He asks of you is for His glory and for your good. Peter thought, well, the Lord asked me to do this. He didn't ask John to do this because He loves John more than me. Now, how, how elementary is that? How, how juvenile is that? But we all get to thinking that sometimes. You know how we say it? We say, Lord, how come I'm having to go through this and they're not having to go through this? How come I'm having to deal with it? How come that my health is falling to pieces and they're healthy? And they're not even serving you like I am, or they don't even love you like I do, or they've not even done for you what I've done. Lord, how come I'm struggling financially, but they're not struggling financially, and I tithe and I give, and I give liberally and and generously, and, and they don't even tithe and they're doing okay. Lord, why do you allow that? Lord, is it because you love them more than you love me? See, once you settle it in your head that God loves you more than you'll ever fathom, once you settle it in your head that God loves you more than you could ever dream, 
and that God loves each of His children equally. It'll help you when you're struggling. It'll help you to die to self. We see His priority. What's then His priority? Lord, what shall this man do? The fact is, it didn't matter. But the greater fact is this. Peter had a job to do, and his job wasn't to worry about what everyone else's job was. You'd be amazed how much worry we expend over stuff that we have nothing to do with. I know people that spend all their time worrying about everyone else's business while their business is falling apart. You know, that's what happens when you get your eyes off Jesus. Because when you, your eyes got to be somewhere, so if you take them off Jesus, you're going to have to put them on something else. You're either going to put them on your problems or you're going to put them on other people. One of the two. And oftentimes, when we're going through trials, oftentimes in that struggle to die daily, one of the ways that Satan persecutes us and distracts us is getting us to look at others who, who are walking in, in a different... You know, every one of us, we're running a race and we've all got our own lanes. And he wants to get you focusing on somebody else's lane. You know, that's a good way to trip. <laughs> and that's what he's trying to do. Get you focused on somebody else. We see Peter's foolish distraction, but then we see Peter's focus demanded. And, and what's the first thing the Lord says? The Lord says this, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? The first thing he shows Peter is, Peter, your question is irrelevant. Your question doesn't matter, Peter. You know, there's a lot of times that even if we got answers to our questions, we still wouldn't be satisfied because those questions are irrelevant in the first place. You know that God gives us every bit of information we need to live for Him? I got questions just like you got questions. I remember when I was a youth pastor, every young person I ever dealt with, they always wanted to know about three or four things. They wanted to know who they was going to marry, number one. Who are we going to marry? They wanted to know where they were going to get a job or go to college. And they wanted to know what their house was going to be like they was going to live and where they were going to live. And the girls wanted to know how many kids they was going to have. Every sing- I mean, every single one of them. And here they are. They're trying to pray for the will of God. I want you to listen now. They're trying to pray for the will of God. And they ain't been in church faithfully in years. They've been at, at dance or at softball or at soccer or at basketball. And they're praying and begging God to find out the name and the eye color of the man they're going to marry. Can I just give you a little secret? The little secret is this. If you'll find out what you need to know, then God will take care of what you don't need to know. And sometimes the Christian life is on a need-to-know basis. Sometimes if we knew it early, we'd mess it up. And sometimes there's some things God doesn't reveal to us because it ain't time to reveal them to us yet. What does it mean to find the will of God? To find the will of God is to find the immediate will of God. Anything beyond the... In fact, can I say this? There is nothing beyond the immediate will of God. If God lets you know something that's happening in the future, it's only because it affects your present. Let me say that. I really want you to get that. There is no such thing beyond the immediate will of God. I'm not saying God doesn't have a will beyond that. I'm saying as far as you and I are concerned, it might as well not even exist. And if God reveals anything to us beyond... You know why God revealed this to Peter? Because Peter in that moment needed to die to self and to follow Jesus. He didn't, listen, he didn't tell Peter because Peter needed to know how he was going to die. 
He told him that because Peter needed to die to self right then. And that's what finding the will of God is. It's praying and asking God, God, what's your will for my life right now? Right now. Anything beyond that, anything beyond right now is irrelevant. Because we never live, we've ne- there's not a single one of us that has ever lived a tomorrow. We only live today's. We've never lived a yesterday. We'll never live a tomorrow. We only live today's. It's the only way. That's how we face life. And Peter was worried because maybe John wouldn't have to go through this. Guess what? It didn't matter what John had to go through. The question is, what do you have to go through? What's God's will for your life? What's God asking of you right now? There's probably folks in this room, God, you've been wrestling with God about some things, and He's been asking you for those things. And you're sitting around wondering why other people aren't having to deal with that. You're sitting around wondering about other people. and this. It don't matter what other people are doing. It doesn't matter what other people are going through. It doesn't matter what God has asked of other people. What has God asked of us? That's what matters. You see, his question was irrelevant because his commission was what was important. He says, follow thou me. That's what mattered. Peter, you don't have to know what John's going to do. You just have to know what I need you to do. You don't have to know everything that's going to happen. You just have to know what I need from your life. You know, that's how we die to self and that's how we live for God. Is by no Don't get focused on what anyone else is doing. Just to yield and to kneel before Him. Say, Lord, my life is yours. And whatever you choose to do with it, my life belongs to you. You know, we spend all of our... So, so many of us, it's a distraction from dying to self. That's why we do it. <laughs> so, you, know, you know one of the reasons he turned and looked at John so he wouldn't have to answer the question? Right? I got, listen, I got a two-year-old. I know how it is. I know that game. We'll look at him and we'll say, hey, uh, Lawrence, why'd you do that? And he'll say, Daddy, I love you. <laughs> I'll say, I love you too, but that's not what I asked you, son. Lawrence, why'd you do that? Look, Daddy, a bird. You know, it's a distraction from having to answer the question. That's what we do in our lives. The Lord says, this is what I want from you. We say, well, what about so-and-so? Well, so-and-so don't matter. Your commission is the same. Follow thou me. And you know what we find? We find this out, that his presumption, that his idea was wrong anyway. It was incorrect. Do you know what John says? John says this. He never said that I wasn't going to die. He said, what would it matter if I didn't? You know what you'll find to be true in your life? You'll find this, that half the time the things that you think are going to happen are not what happens anyway. And half the, and one of these days, it may not be on this side of glory, it may be on the other side, but one of these days, all those injustices in life, they're going to look exactly how they need to look and are supposed to look. Those people that didn't have to go through what you're going through, one of these days you're going to find out they was going through more than you thought they was going through. Those people that, listen, that they didn't have to give up what you had to give up, you may find out one of these days they had to give up things you never dreamed of having to give up. It's irrelevant what they're giving up, but you'll find this to be true. It's incorrect to think that God is doing... God is no respecter of persons. That's not just in the world. That's in His family, too. And you'll find this to be true. Get your eyes off everybody else. Get them on Jesus. Do what He asks of you and die to self. That is the greater death. And that is the only way to true life and living for God. 
That's the only way you're ever going to know it, is if you'll get your eyes off everybody else, get them back on Jesus, mortify the deeds of the body, crucify self, and say, Lord, I'll obey whatever you ask of me. And in doing so, you'll find that there is where life is. Peter learned that lesson. You know that? He learned that lesson. Spent the whole last part of his life. He didn't dread that cross. He looked forward to that cross. He said, listen, the time is now coming. I'm going to put off this tabernacle. And he looked forward to that day. You know why? Because he didn't have to fear death because he had already died. In fact, he had died every day. And in doing so, he found that life was really worth living.